Well, friends, if you could keep Ephesians 4 open, that would be enormously helpful today uh, as we uh, look at that. Let's, uh, let's ask our great God to speak to us through his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you now and we think about what it means to serve you, will you speak not only to our minds but also to our hearts? Help us learn what serving is and why we do it. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, friends, from one perspective, uh, this was the sermon series, sorry, this was the sermon this series didn't need. That's because, as a church, we get serving. We really do. You see, we don't speak about serving here prefaced by an apology because we're taking up your valuable time. We don't speak about serving here because it helps us fill our rosters. We don't ask people to serve so they feel more engaged in the life of the church. None of those things. We know, most of us, nearly all of us, that serving Jesus, his people and his world is what we've been made for. We get serving. Uh, Last year, during Serving 2014, those three weeks that we ask you either individually or as a family to talk and pray with others about what your serving will look like here in the year ahead, almost 200 people filled in forms and got them back into us. Just this week, three days ago, I got an email from one of you that said this. Hi, Pete. Last night, to my horror, I discovered my Serving 2014 form in my kitchen. I'd thought I'd returned it weeks and weeks ago. Clearly not. Am I still able to participate in spite of my neglect to return my form? So that person would say, you're being a bit hard on yourself. Take it easy. But we get serving. And yet we don't. Two weeks ago, our women's pastor, Jody and I caught up with one of our wonderful women at this church who, in tears, told us that she needed to confess something. So I prepared myself and then she just told me that with everything going on in her life right now, she couldn't commit to being on a roster. I said, look, don't worry about it. We'll talk about that later. What's your confession? And then I realised that that was it. Now, other staff have told me that as they've encouraged people to come and make a time to chat or pray with me, they've sometimes seen a resistance in people based on the fact that those people feel like they're on the fringe and they don't contribute to the life of the church. You see, they're not on a roster So they don't feel like they have a right to take up my time. Sort of like there's some sort of reciprocity at work, which I get because it is at work in the rest of the world, but not here. Anyway, this reciprocity, like if you're on a a roster, you get prayers with a minister or or something like that. It was at that point that I realised we get serving and we don't get serving. So today we're going to be thinking about what does it mean to serve Jesus? We're in the third week of our series, Jesus for Life, where we're looking at our church mission statement. You might remember if you were here last week, uh, we looked at growing, that actually to grow in Jesus is not about doing stuff, it's about learning to treasure Jesus more. And today we're thinking about serving. Why do we do it? How do we do it? And what do we do it for? Can you please have Ephesians 4 verse 7 open in front of you? Ephesians 4, 7 to 16 is a classic text Uh, on what it means to live as God's people in this world. And it has a lot to say about serving, as we'll see in a moment. But I think the first thing we need to be clear on is that this passage, when we first start reading it, is difficult. And so if you're anything like me, what you do is when you get to a difficult part of the Bible, you sort of glaze over 
and keep going until you find a bit that you do get. Uh, Here's a tip that I learned a long time ago. Whenever a part of the Bible causes you to glaze over, go deeper. Those bits are often the keys that unlock what you're actually reading. And it is certainly the case today. The first few verses, there's no doubt they're tricky, and that's because they are describing something that has almost no modern-day equivalent. Can you look at verse 8, please? So verse 8 is a quote from Psalm 68. And in Psalm 68, that's the first Bible reading we had today, it is a call from Israel to God to come and rescue them. And the picture in Psalm 68 that is painted is one of God ascending to Mount Zion in great victory. That that clears it all up, right? No, not really. Well, perhaps this might. The background to Psalm 68 is a very common and well-known ancient celebration. You see, when a king won a major battle, he would celebrate by holding what was called a triumph. Uh, That would be a march back into your own town and the resounding victory would be celebrated with animals and pomp and ceremony and soldiers and prisoners of war paraded as captives and the king would give gifts to his people. Uh, It was this massive party that symbolised the king had won the battle and had taken care of his town, of his people. Now, if you knew that, what I just said, that's either because you've studied ancient history or you've watched Gladiator. And that's where that's from. Let's read it again and see if it makes any more sense. Verse 8, have a look at that. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Do you see what Paul's saying? He's saying that because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, that's what it means when it says he ascended on high, because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, God gave gifts to his people. Because of that incredible victory and triumph of our king, Jesus, defeating death, rising from the dead, God gave out abilities, skills, gifts, talents that you have to worship and serve and glorify the king who has taken care of his people. Here's something to keep in mind. When you use gifts that God has given you, be that gifts of administration or hospitality leadership or encouragement or whatever. They are a reminder of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Of the death of death and of the way of life. Uh, I reckon here at church we are underdone on the resurrection. I take full responsibility as I set the teaching program. Uh, But I think we're underdone on the resurrection and what it means. We believe it here. Plenty don't. We do. But I reckon we think it happened 2,000 years ago And that's it. I think we actually forget that the king who ascended victorious, the one who poured out gifts upon us, is watching you, us, right now. Is the one whom we pray through as we entreat and implore our great God. Is the one who softens hearts to enable people to seek his forgiveness. And the gifts that you have been given, that we have been given, have been given because Jesus is the resurrected king. Now, the point of this quote that Paul uses in Psalm 68 and verse 8, the reason it's there is simply to explain verse 7. Now, can you look at verse 7? But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then he goes on to quote Psalm 68 to talk about how that grace is given. It's a king giving out gifts after the resurrection. Uh, What that means is this, what verse 7 for you means is this, God has distinctive services 
for you to perform in this place. Now, that's not me saying that you've been given gifts that you've got to use. Okay? This is not me attempting to get in late 2014, serving 2014 forms. Okay? Now, God says that. The ability that you have to perform services is due to the grace given by the risen king. One more thing to notice here. Again, look at verse 7. See how it says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. See that? What that means is that God gives different people different gifts, different abilities in different measure. In different measure. See, the good news in that verse, the comforting news in that verse is that you have been freed from the tyranny of comparison. You, you never need to look at someone else and say, gee, I wish I could serve like them. And nor should you look at someone and say, gee, I wish they'd serve like me. We do what we can, as we can, when we can, as God has equipped us. So we know that God's given these gifts to people. Different gifts, different people in different measure. What are the gifts? Have a look at verses 11 to 13. So here Paul tells us what some of these gifts are. And in verse 11, if you're looking at that, you'll see five gifts and people named. The gift and the person goes together. We see apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Now the first two here, the the, the apostles and prophets, are probably a reference to those who first spoke the word of God. Those who established the church. Those who spoke the word of God to God's people before the word of God was written down like we have today. And then we have three more, evangelists, pastors and teachers who work within the church. Please note this. All of these people, all of these gifts, all of these ministries are word-based ministries. The people that God has given to the church to teach, preach, proclaim and prophesy are to prophesy, proclaim, teach, preach the word of God. The gospel of the Lord Jesus. But then we see something else. These people are to do more than that. You see, the very reason these five were given to the church was so they could equip the church, you, for your works of service. That's what verse 13 is saying. You see, the job description, if you like, of someone like me is not in the first instance to marry, bury or baptise. It's not to speak out on issues of social justice. Uh, It is not to run building projects. Don't get me wrong, all of those things are very important. They're just not the first role. The first role of these people in the life of the church is to teach, preach, proclaim, prophesy the word of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And so equip the saints, equip the church, equip you for your works of service. Did you notice the direction of movement here? God in Jesus gives himself, uh, God in Christ gives everyone gifts, right? Then he gives people particular gifts to build up others in their gifts. But all for the same end. And that end is the second half of verse 12. Can you look at that? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, that's one of those verses where you just think, Paul, could you not have used a couple more full stops? Because it goes on and on. But it is Paul in his way of saying, until we are more like Jesus. 
until we are more like Jesus. The purpose of gifts given to us, whatever gift it is, is to help us become more like Jesus. You have been given gifts. My job, James's job, Jody's job, Rex's job, our community group leader's job is to help you develop them so that you might build me up to become more like Jesus. So that you might build up that person sitting next to you, that they might become more like Jesus. That you might be able to build up the person who's going to come next week for the first time, who you've never met before, that they might become more like Jesus. That is the purpose of the gifts you have been given. Or as Paul puts it, so that the body of Christ might be built up. Gifts are for church growth in its biblical sense. I want to make a comment here about my role as your minister. Paul describes something here, as he does in other places, which has been called by people uh, a few different things. Some people have called it the priesthood of all believers. Others have called it every member ministry. You know, there are some church traditions today, I'm sure you're aware of this, where the minister of the church is seen as the priest who does the spiritual work on the church and where people like you uh, go about your secular work all week, then Sunday by Sunday come here for me to do a bit of spiritual work on you, only to send you back out to slay the dragons of the secular world. Even within our own denomination, if you were to go back 30 years, you would have found such a mindset in place. Even within our own denomination in other parts of our country, you'll find that idea in place. We know people think like this uh, because when people here join us from a Catholic background, and we love it when they do, and there's a number in the room, welcome, great to have you here, uh, and then we have question time, they're sort of aghast. And I know that because you tell me what they say to you, and they say to you, you're allowed to question your priest? And you answer or you should answer, he's not a priest like you think he is. So here's the wonderful truth. I am not here to do your ministry. Frankly, I haven't got the time. And seriously, I would never want to rob you of what God has appointed for you to do. I will not raise your children for you in the Lord nor will Bethany or any one of our 25 kids and youth leaders. That is not our responsibility nor privilege. It is yours. But we will walk with you, work with you, pray with you, love you, encourage you every step of the way. You see, I am your priest only as much as you are mine. I am your priest as I intercede for you and pray for you. That's what priests do, right? And bring you before God as you intercede and pray for me and bring me before God. You know, Paul in his opening letter, uh, opening statement to his letter to the church in Rome says the same thing. This is what he says. It's on the screen. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. See what Paul's saying? This is Paul, the founder of the church, the apostle to the Gentiles. But he's saying that you and I may be mutually encouraged. That this small church in Rome would actually encourage this leader of the church. How does that work? Well, Paul knows that everyone's a minister, actually. Do you get it? That every single person who treasures Jesus is a minister. And I'm called to equip you Absolutely. But you are called to minister according to gift and opportunity 
and ability that the resurrected Lord Jesus has poured out upon you to build us all up. We need you. We need you to serve with your given gifts to help us all trust Jesus more. So here's what we've learned about serving in church. Serving is actually deeply purposeful. Serving has a direction. It's not merely about being on a roster, filling gaps or feeling included. Serving is about growth. Serving is about our church being built up to become more and more united in our faith in Jesus. United in our knowledge of Jesus. And as a body together, changing to look more and more like our risen Lord Jesus, our, our conquering King. And that's why when one of you comes to church here, who actually isn't on a roster at the moment, who's had an awful morning at home, who feels like the last thing that you actually want to do is come to church, but you come. Maybe your spouse doesn't support you like a significant number here. Maybe your kids would much rather stay at home and play Angry Birds on their iPads. Had to explain that to IDM. But you get here with your kids because you know it is the best place to be. When that happens, you are serving. I hope you see why. You see, your very presence builds many of us up. I mean, I'm personally encouraged when, as I know your stories, your background, what's going on in your marriage, your family life, I know of your difficulties and I see you hanging in there with Jesus, loving him, clinging to him. Cling to him for hope when you know and you feel so much of your life is actually hopeless. I'm built up. I'm strengthened. I find this resolution, in a sense, to actually face my own challenges because I see you do it too. I see your clarity of mind to hold on to the cross of Christ in the midst of your storm of confusion and temptation and struggle. You make me want to cling to Jesus like you do. And you're not even on a roster. The horror. Look, for those of you who feel like what I just described, and I know there's a number here because I know you, (laughs) I want to say this church is for you. This community of the broken, but the broken with hope in Jesus, is for you. You may not serve like others, but have no doubt you serve. One final comment. Uh, As we serve our great God, as we grow through that very experience, God uses that process to protect us. To put another way, serving both builds us and protects us. Can you look at verse 14, please? Paul says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead... Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Here's the thing. As we serve one another, which builds up one another, the result of that is that we protect one another. We protect one another from remaining spiritual children in a world that looks for ways to lead us astray. 
Now, the image that comes to me here is of that child who gets lost at the Easter show. Their parents have gone, there are people moving around them in every direction, and in the distance are the show bags and the rides and the Pluto pups, which are alluring and yet confusing. That's sort of the picture here. Paul is saying, you won't be like that child at the Easter show, lost in a sea of ideas and temptations and confusions if you are built up in Christ, if you use your gifts that you've been given to build up one another for the glory of God. Uh, I want to finish today by answering the number one question that I know I would have got in question time. And here's the question. How do you know what your gifts are? How, how do you know what your gifts are? It's a good question, isn't it? Let me give you a good answer. One, consider your passions. What do you love doing? Two, consider your expertise. What are you good at? Three, consider your opportunities. What needs to be done? If you answer those three questions, you're going to get very close to determining what the gifts are that God has given you. Yeah, it's a good question. But let me ask you a better question. A better question. How can I be involved in building up the body of Christ here at Norwest? What can I do to be an encouragement to help someone trust in, love Jesus more? What can I do to serve in that way? You see why that's a better question, right? It's a much better question because it starts with the end in mind. Norwest growing to look more and more like Christ. And here's the thing. If that end is in your heart, seeing this place to continue to be transformed, to look like Jesus, to grow up into him, then you'll work out what to do. And in one sense, it won't matter what you do. If helping us grow to love Jesus like you, for Jesus to be our heartbeat like you, if, that, if that's what's going on, you'll pray, you, you'll encourage, you'll share God's word, you'll mow grass, you'll make slice, you'll preach sermons, whatever. Whatever. And it can all start with a prayer like this. Next time you walk up the path, come to church. Next Sunday, pray this. Father, this morning, show me who you want me to encourage that they might trust Jesus more. Let's pray. Father, this morning, show me who you want me to encourage, that they might trust Jesus more. Amen. Brothers and sisters, uh, we now have time for comments uh, and questions. Uh, This is something we like to do most weeks here, as we can. Uh, The reason we have question time at Norwest is because we believe that actually all truth does not reside in the heads of our pastors, our preachers or anything like that, but within the very word of God that you are holding. And as a community, we all wrestle with God's word. And so let me give you a moment to put your thoughts together and see if there are any comments uh, or questions, comments you'd like to make, questions you'd like to ask that fall out of today's sermon. Carol Hanley. 
Thank you. So uh, verse 11, uh, we're given five categories uh, of uh, people in the life of the church, three, uh, two who I argued were from probably uh, from the founding uh, of the church and three who we have today, uh, which are evangelists, pastors and teachers. The question is, uh, are pastors and teachers one category or two? So do you have some people who are really warm and they just want to give you a cuddle and you know, it just feels like, you know, and all for Jesus' sake, like wonderful pastor, and then you get some people who just, they teach and they're never going to be your best friend and so on and so forth. Uh, the answer is the Greek is not clear. So it's a, this is an exegetical question, actually. It's a question of what does the Greek say, uh, and it could be read either way. Let me say this. Someone who has a clear gift, some leader in the church who has a clear gift in pastoring needs to work on their teaching. And someone uh, who works in a church as an excellent preacher, teacher, needs to work on their pastoring. Uh, I, think, uh, I think they are three different categories, but I don't think that any of us should actually sit back and say, well, I'm not an evangelist so I'm not going to tell anyone about Jesus. I'm not a pastor, so I can, I can be a bit standoffish. I'm not a teacher, so I'm not going to open God's word. I think whilst these, uh, these people are given to the church and people have particular gifts down particular lines, I think there's an encouragement for all of us, actually, to, to want to be all of these things in some ways. Thanks, Carol. Anne. Mm. Thank you. So the question is, we fill in our Serving 2014 cards, forms, and it can feel like a tick box meant to do it. Um, How do we protect ourselves from ensuring that those good things that we want to do actually don't become the things by which we find our righteousness, become those things by which we find our right standing before God? It's not just serving. It's it's everything. I mean, it's giving money. How, How do you give money in a way that stop, you know, like, in our heads, you know, I think the thing you've got to come back to, I always come back to, is that there is a Pharisee inside every one of us struggling to get out. Okay, you are a Pharisee. All right? You're a Pharisee. That's what it is to, to be a sinner, to actually want to self-justify. That is the human condition. But you're a Pharisee who has been forgiven and redeemed and had the spirit of Jesus put upon you. Let the battle begin. Because that's what's going on. There is the flesh versus the spirit and on and on. So there are going to be times where you serve and you're going to go home and think, gee, I'm good. And then you think, what on earth did I just think? And and, and that's that's all right. The moment you thought, what did I just think? Yep, that's right, it's kicking in. That's the spirit saying, pull your head in. Kill the Pharisee. Uh, And for me, different for different people, could say a hundred things. For me, starting every day on my knees, whether that's literally or spiritually, it doesn't matter. It means the same thing. Coming before God and saying... I've stuffed up again. I've turned my work for you of leading a church into an idol by which I find my own sense of meaning and purpose and salvation in this life. Forgive me. I'm going to do it again, which makes your grace all the more remarkable. But let's go again. And Jesus just lets us go again. It's amazing. That helps me. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, Heather.
I think that's an enormously helpful comment, Heather. Thank you. Uh, another way it's been put is um, we need to hold opportunities loosely. I tell you a huge warning flag for me, and it's almost always accurate. When I speak to someone here about needing to move them from a particular ministry, asking a musician to step down or something like that for whatever reason, uh, you can tell if it's an idol by the way they respond. That's what you're talking about. You, you can tell if they are captured by serving rather than the notion of serving rather than serving Jesus. It's once been said about idols that we all deny we serve them, but it's very simple to find out what they are. You just take them away. Just take them away and see how people respond. No, it's not an idol. No worries. Can I have it? No. <laughs> Can we talk about that? Not really. Very helpful. Thanks, Heather. There was one more comment. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Final comment. Burned out in service? Look, I think this goes back to what I said at the beginning, that it's not about rosters. It's not about getting your serving 2014 form. This is about having a heart that longs to serve. That girl who I spoke to about at the beginning, uh, who Jodie and I met with, she is fabulous. She has so much going on in her life. She shouldn't be on any roster, but she serves remarkably. I think sometimes we need people around us who are loving and wise enough to say, I'm not sure this is the best thing for you. That might be a husband or a wife or someone else. You need a church leadership team that doesn't actually look for everyone being on rosters and ticking boxes. Now, can I say at times my heart goes that way because I'm a Pharisee, but then I read the Bible, actually, and I'm reminded that's not what it's about. So I think having people around you um, who can speak truth to you, but also wrestling on your own motive. I, I think if you know in your heart that serving Jesus is actually just about building others up, you're going to feel okay about not being on a roster. Can I say there's great risk of me speaking about this? You know what the risk is. We're going to finish there. Thank you.